Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And you know what? That's a different entrance today. That's a different uh, intro because the uh, Tycho drums I usually do, the Tycho drums, uh, wasn't working. But this is actually a Ray Lazier, a drummer from Corn, who was on the show about a few months ago. And he's in a great side band called KXM with him, uh, Doug Pinnock, who's been on the show from King's X, and George Lynch. So I figured I'd do a little drum solo because I always start with drums. And uh, before I start, I want to give a shout out. I want to give a shout out to a... a a listener, a guy I went to high school with, I actually sat next to him. I went to elementary school and junior high. His name's Steve Coolahan. And uh, he just he just started listening to the show and he told me. And the funny thing is, he had a picture on uh, Facebook yesterday because it was his late mom's birthday. And the Coolahans lived in my neighborhood, Crescent Woods, which is part of Cherry Hill, New Jersey. And there was nine of them. There was nine kids and seven were boys. And the funniest thing is, the two youngest were the girls. So I always thought, you know... It's bad enough if you're trying to date someone to deal with a big brother, but dealing with seven big brothers, and they were all big guys. They wrestled. They're all wrestlers. You know, they, I mean, they were they 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 controlled our neighborhood. They were you wanted to be on the good side because they were like I guess like the Crescent Woods Mafia. But I just want to say thanks for listening, Steve. And uh, yeah, so that's about it. But anyway, I'm, I have a big guy as my guest today. I, I, I stood next to him uh, in, the, in the in the lobby, and I looked dwarfed. I swear I looked dwarfed. It's uh, Michael McGrady. How you doing, Michael? <laughs> hey, Steve. Dude, how what are you six three? I think I read or. Yeah, little more than six three yeah um, what do you weigh because you're big um <laughs> not big in a bad way you're just a big guy yeah i'm a big guy yeah i'm probably about 235 240 right damn now. i weigh 165 it's like it's like <laughs> you're like one of me and an eighth grader I, I, I was gonna say i think 165 i might have been maybe sixth or seventh grade something like that <laughs> uh so uh, i i tell mike earlier i, I saw him on a risoli niles i'm a big fan of him on uh, ray donovan and um and another show we found out uh um, low winter sun and we're gonna talk about that and he, he gets beat up a lot <laughs> I've mm. noticed that you get and I'm gonna talk about that but I want to talk about you have a very interesting story you, you grew up in the northwest up in Washington right 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 uh, yeah I grew up in uh, actually a small town outside of Seattle actually closer to Tacoma called Federal Way which okay. now is incorporated and it's a big city and very different than uh, what it was when I grew up there but uh, went to high school there and uh, graduated in 1978. Uh, moved back east. Uh, my dad had uh, my dad had passed away uh, from uh, skin cancer. Right. In uh, my senior year, and um, I was with a girl at the time who I'd been with since my junior year in high school. Her mom got transferred to Ohio, and you know I kind of wanted to get out of Seattle I wanted to change the scenery so I went back east with her and my girlfriend my girlfriend was uh, finishing up here last year of high school I stayed there a year um, and then I came back for Christmas break I was attending University of Cincinnati and my mom uh, interestingly enough saw a mole on my left shoulder and uh, she said I want you to get that checked it looks suspicious of course I wasn't paying any attention you're 19. I mean. I'm 19, you know, and I had a whole future ahead of me. I was on the track team at UC, and, and I was looking at playing a football this, the next following year. And uh, I didn't want anything to get in the way of my plans. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So, uh, anyways, I didn't do anything about it. And then I went back for summer break, and, of course, my mom saw the mole that had grown. And uh, so she kept pushing me, and I went in, and sure enough, it was... Um, malignant melanoma see that must be crazy and it's funny you said you didn't want anything to get in your way and it's so true because i went through a health problem two years ago and it took me like a god a month and a half to get to the hospital i've been misdiagnosed but because we're guys we think oh yeah it's nothing it's nothing and it always comes to the point where it's like okay you know what you have to go on like me i went to the emergency room and they said i stayed for four days i had a heart thing and for me i mean i should have known my feet were swollen i and it's a thing like with that but when you're young i mean and i even me when it happened to me I'm, i'll be 51 at the end of this month mine happened to me at 48 when i, I felt invincible when you're 19 and you're an athlete you must have just felt like this 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 is nothing i mean yeah you know the old story lightning can't strike twice in the same spot you know i, I sort of uh, was living by that um philosophy at the time so and you know like they say cancer is a silent killer you know it's not like i felt anything i felt invincible still i was still strong and healthy and whatnot but you know that thing just uh it can be um pretty relentless over a period of time and of course i went in had it checked um, the doctor said, you know, it's it's stage three. We need to go in there and do a massive surgery and, and remove some, some tissue and whatnot. So I have this pretty good-sized scar about maybe six inches around on my shoulder. And I uh, was told that 
I'd probably never play sports again like I used to because they had to get into some nerves and stuff like that and cut away quite a bit of flesh and whatnot. And um, that it would take me a long, long time to recover from that. And then even with that, they said that, uh, you know, there wasn't a 50-50 chance that they cured it, that they got it. And um, they'd know within five years, there's that five-year window where they want to kind of give you that clean bill of health, so to speak. But, I mean, I guess the reason I bring that up is because I think that's sort of what has informed my whole adventure into the acting world and the arts and whatnot. Because, well, I was going to you know, say, because your, your, your background, you were an athlete. You're a big guy, and I know I've read that you also have a, you have, you're, you have a, you have an art gallery. Yep. And you say so you're an artist, and, and you, you're, of course you act, and I believe you play music too. Yep, that's right. Now, did you do any of this before you found, I mean, like, did you have any interest in acting when you were in college or high school? No, actually, in junior high, I did drama, and I loved it, and had an absolute ball doing it. In fact, I'll never forget, uh, one time we did a play, and a gentleman came up to me, and he looked me right in the eye, and he said, I think it was like somebody's grandfather probably who came to this crazy thing that we did and I think I was in the eighth or ninth grade and he said, You have a real talent for this and this is your future. And I laughed. I'm thinking, Yeah, right. You know, I'm gonna be an athlete, you know. Little did I know. Um, you know, high school, no, I was an athlete, I was into sports and of course partying and doing everything kids do in high school, you know, and I didn't have time for drama. Wasn't crazy about the drama program there. Uh, college, same thing. I was into sports. I was a business major. Um, you know, when I came back summer after my, my surgery, I actually ended up staying in, in, in Seattle and uh, went to the University of Washington. Uh, now, they have a very good acting program, I heard. They do, you know, but even then, I was not interested. I, I was uh, sort of on a fast track to um, my, I had an uncle who was a, a CEO of a corporation at the time. And uh, I actually had some aspirations of getting into law and becoming maybe, a, a, a you know, one of their one of their attorneys or whatnot. So I was kind of pursuing the business and possibly going to law school. And, um, you know, it's it's interesting because, Steve, what happened was it, it's very hard to encapsulate all that time into one little brief fractional moment. But I think what happened was when the cancer thing happened for me, it really shocked me into an awareness that life is precious. It sounds cliche, but it's true. At 19, I was forced to grow up. Right. All of a sudden, I was 60. You yeah, know, I mean, because you're right. Because I mean, when I was 19, I was in college, and in the summer, I would go to the Jersey Shore. And all what we do, we would drink and get laid. Yeah. And we had nothing with it. Oh, well, in, at the end of the summer, we go back to college, we study, we drink, we get laid. Last thing on my right. mind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except for getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but pretty much, you know, I mean, you, you, you know, doing a lot of the things that the kids that, you know, my peers were doing just seemed really senseless, you know. And it really set me on this course of, you know, reading all the existentialists like, you know Emerson and Thoreau and Nietzsche and they got into you know philosophy and um, even Marcus Aurelius one of my favorite quotes of all time was not that uh, not death that man should fear but rather having never lived and uh, that really struck me when I read that I thought you know if I've only got five years if that is the case the worst case scenario what am I going to do with that five years um didn't want to be a businessman didn't want to go into law school. I didn't see see the point in even going to school. Right. I was going to die in five years' time. Not that I was being a pessimist, but I was being somewhat of well, a realist. You have to sit there. I mean, it's one of those things you have to look into it. I mean, it's a matter of, you know, especially because you're so young. Like, if someone said to me, you have five years to live, or possibly, well, you know, I've lived a pretty good life, and I would do certain things. But at 19, you're so young that you have to look at it that way because you're not going to sit there and be on your deathbed if, let's say, it's 24 going, wait a second, what, what did I, why was I going to law classes? You know? Right. What was the point it's of like, that? Yeah, it's like, I, I, I can't even take the bar you know it's like I mean so yeah so what do you do yeah so that and I appreciate that you you know that you uh, that you see that and um, you know for me it I, I stayed in school only because I didn't have a plan you know um, I did enjoy school uh, I was in a fraternity at the time although that lasted all of about maybe a half a semester and I got tired of that and so I moved out and got my own place I, you know I spent that time that five years really uh, <laughs> soul-searching. I mean, I, I really, like I said, I read a lot of books, um, 
did a lot of walking around and writing, and I started getting back into my music. Now, did friends know you were going through this, or did you keep it quiet? You know, strangely enough, when I got in when I when I got out of high school, I sort of sort of when I moved to Cincinnati, I kind of cut off a lot of those friendships. Not not on purpose; it just sort of happened that way. And when I came back, a lot of them had gone on to different colleges and universities and stuff. So there wasn't like this tight knit group of guys that I hung out with. Even in high school, I was a bit of a loner because my girlfriend at the time actually went to a separate high school that okay. I did, and I spent a lot of time with her and her friends. Um, but uh, from that high school, <clears throat> but um, you know, people knew, my family knew. Um, truth be known, I mean, I kind of became a loner. You know, I really did because I was always very gregarious, outgoing, and you know that kind of guy. I love the crack jokes a lot and stuff, but. Um, that thing really threw me for a loop, and I, and I sort of started uh, being comfortable in my own skin, being comfortable with asking bigger questions, questions a 19-year-old shouldn't be asking. Um, and um, I started writing a lot, and the writing really was helpful for me. What kind of writing? Just journal writing? or, or journal, just, okay. journal writing, poetry, uh, music, songs, lyrics, things like that. You know, I started playing my guitar more often. And, and How did really, you pick the guitar? Um, I had been playing since I was 10. Okay. And, uh, and, and always, always, even to this day, have always gone to my guitar as um, therapy. I'll sit in my room sometimes for hours when I was a kid even and just play entertain myself and uh, it was just uh, I guess it was a way of expressing myself but then also receiving whatever it was I was expressing if you will you right know, being on both sides of it and um, I always felt, found it very calming so I went there and I still go there I, I still pick up the guitar and noodle around on it when I need to get into my head for a little while and, and work out some stuff and whatnot but um so yeah you know for me it was just it was kind of like okay well five years well let me take a big bite out of life i started doing triathlons started mountain climbing started all these even though i was an athlete and i did a lot of extracurricular sports like snow skiing and water skiing things like that i started looking into other things that i may not have possibly looked into at the time i did a lot of camping by myself i just pack up throw all my stuff in my bronco go up to the mountain for two or three days and just think think read books write sort of a curac sort of a experience but in the mountains you know right well i think that's you know i mean i think something you want solitary time because you know i think you know you don't want to be around people i mean it's it's different because you know like when i was in the hospital it sucked because i was on the old the old person's floor you know <laughs> and i'm like i know i was feeling better and i know just even though the doctor said oh you know you have to stay here and you sit there and the solitary time in a hospital sucks because you're sitting there you're in that room you can't get outside you right. know you're sitting there you hear the old lady crying down the hall and i'm calling the nurse like what's the matter mr cooper i'm like i don't know i think the lady in the room next to me is dying oh no she's just crazy she always i go well shut her up because i don't it's i don't want someone dying in the room next to me and then they tell you to walk around and so you're walking down and i'm in the cardiac unit so you're walking around and all the doors are open there's all these old people like on their deathbed and you're going oh great you know this you know i'll just go back in my room right but at least for you you got to go outside and really uh be one with nature i mean and once again that sounds cliche but you would one with nature i'm sure i'm really just absorbing life yeah that's exactly it you know and I think, too, um, looking back on it, because, you know, I've had to sort of recall this story a few times in interviews and just, you know, talking in general with people, you know. Um, it was kind of a weird place because I was caught between my own peer group, which I didn't quite, I didn't have the same motivations as they did. I didn't have the same focus because of the possibility of, of not living a full life. Um, and then, but then not, not yet having the life experience and, and uh um, the maturity as older people. I, ha- I was asking a lot of the same questions, the existential questions that older people were, but uh, the meaning of life and you know things like that. But I didn't have the maturity to necessarily hang out with that, so I was sort of caught in between. So, like I said, I sort of was forced to find um, a private place that I could go to in my own heart and mind that I could uh, be comfortable with. And um, I kind of learned to enjoy that place. And even today with my acting and, and different place, things that I do, even in sports now, because I just, I just did a triathlon this summer. I hadn't done one in years. Um, that place is where I go to when I act. And when I play music or when things get too chaotic, I've raised three kids, and when things get nuts, I go to that place. And it's a place I've always been able to count on. It's a peaceful place for me. And it's a place where I feel like I'm in control. And, you know, all this stuff, and, and again, the reason I bring up some of this stuff, because when I got into acting, 
um, which was kind of an interesting story in itself. But when I got into acting, it wasn't just the acting. It was the writing, the, the, the drama in general. For me, it was like, okay, so this is a way I can express all this stuff in me, all these thoughts, all these images, these realizations and whatnot, that maybe I can use this as a vehicle to share those things. And if I can help one person out there, like they say, I, I've left the world a better place. So, you know, when I got into acting... Um, well, that's what it was. It was a vehicle for me. Well, when you said you wanted to take a big bite, was that yeah. when you just said, I'm moving to L.A. and I'm getting into acting? Because you, you were writing, and you were, but you weren't really doing any acting when you were going through this, right? No, I wasn't. Um, you know, it's my, what happened was um, I was still going to school. I was working at a bank. I did some summer jobs, worked at a steel mill, worked some hard labor jobs. I knew I didn't want to do hard labor because I did a lot of that. Uh, worked in offices and stuff and uh, just sort of put myself through school. Um, what had happened was in my senior year, uh, my sister had heard there was a show in Seattle called Seattle Today, much like all these city shows, you know, like L.A. Today and stuff like that. And they were sponsoring a new acting school, film and television acting school, because there hadn't been one there in Seattle yet. Um, and um, so they had the lady who started the school on the program Seattle Today, and they were saying they're doing it like a star search type thing. And to come down to Cairo, uh, KIRO, Channel 7, and, and audition for this thing. My sister's always been a big fan of mine in terms of, um, you, know, uh, you, know, you know, Mikey, you should act. You should be in film and TV. You've got such a great personality and, and your stuff. And she's just always been a real champion of mine. So um, what had happened was um, she, had, she called them. And she, she set up an appointment with them. And... Um, Unfortunately, well, the day of the appointment, it was actually a day I had my tri a triathlon, and I was wiped out. And okay. I, and, but out of respect for her, I went down there. And um, <clears throat> I was tired and worn out. All I wanted to do was go home and just sleep. But I thought, you know, she did go through all this trouble of getting this audition. So I went down there, and there must have been a line twice around this building. And I thought, oh, no, I, I really don't want to stand here and wait around. It could be hours, you know. So I went into the building to go to the bathroom before i split and i'm standing here at the urinal and a guy walks in and he goes you here for the audition i said yeah i was but i'm gonna head home he says well, why I, said, I told him why and he goes well look i'm one of the people running this so would you come in and and read for us do something do a piece what do you have and i said i have petruchio came to the shrew and i have uh, something from death of a salesman he said well come on out let me bring you in if you're ready to go i said yeah i'm ready to go so i went in there kind of winged it you know, I always had a good memory, so memorizing the work was not, was not hard, the material. Went home not even thinking anything of it. And the next day I got a call, and they said, you were one of four people chosen for this acting school uh, scholarship. <laughs> Looking back on it now, it's a really dinky little school. It was a nothing school. You know, it was run by a lady who I think might have been an extra in a couple of MASH episodes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, it was big time, you know. And the idea was we were going to actually go in as sort of unknowns, and she was going to work a scene with us, and then we were going to go back on the show and do the scene. And it was horrific. I look back on it now, and we just chewed up the scenery and some and spit it out. It was horrible. But the experience, the process of, of delving into character, uh, motivation, human behavior, uh, story points, stuff like that, plot, really i just ate it up ate it up and i thought my god this is i love this i started reading shakespeare more and and um, plays i knew i was on to something because at that point i was kind of stuck i didn't want to go to law school didn't want to finish business school but i didn't know what else i wanted to do but when i got that opportunity i knew intuitively that was my path you know what's amazing about that is and i've gotten this from a lot of guests on the show that guy i mean it, you, you took a pee at the right time yes i did I mean, no, no, it's That's amazing. Right. but there's so many people that i've talked to that you know they're they're on the brink of saying you know what um, now you know I'm getting out of this business or this and something that that always steps in and that's what's weird I think that's when you sit there and go well okay you know I'm going in the right direction I mean there's a reason why I mean as I said you took a pee next to the right guy I mean you could have been <laughs> any guy and even you could have been like the person who doesn't talk next to the urinal and the guy said hey you know uh, or you, you could have been like hey, leave me alone but, right. but you were nice. and that's I think there's so many signs that people get and it's there's so many you know there's so many talented people that don't get breaks and but it, it's like 
but there's certain there's certain signs that get people to to going where they are. Well, yeah, and that and there's that is so true because when I look back on my 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 whole life and my career uh, and specifically, as I tell the story, it's almost uh, people can't believe it. It's uh, you know in my family we call them God wings. It's when God winks at you. Um, just this confluence of events, people, and resources that had to come into play to bring me to where I am now was, I'm embarrassed to say, um, available, very available. And it was like serendipity or kismet, whatever you want to call it. Every person I ran into opened the door for me, and the doors just kept opening. All I so, had to do was you're so yes. big. <laughs> they, they were afraid. They said, "We better open the door. He's going to kick our ass." <laughs> big guy, open that door for him. So, so I wanted to. So, you do this in Seattle. So, now when do you decide to move to LA? Um, I so I, I sort of a, you know tooled around Seattle for about a year. Acting, I, doing I, act, yeah, acting and doing some work workshops that w- were showing up there because it was starting to come on the scene at the time. The whole acting thing and commercials. And I did a couple commercials up there as well. I had an agent and whatnot. But um, I met a gentleman who used to do small, like, independent films and commercials down here, and um, he had a contact for me. He said, you ever think about going down to L.A., call this person because they're an agent and they can help you out. So I thought, you know, it was summertime, uh, 1983. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back to school or not. So I sold a few things, got out of debt, because I had some debt hanging over me. had a girlfriend at the time as well, not the one that I went back east with. I actually ended up with her for five years. Um, But we went separate ways. Um, And I was free and clear. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go down there call this person i don't know why i didn't call him before you know young you're young and you're right <laughs> for yourself you know and uh, oh here i'm here yeah it's like that scene yeah it's like what no let's say you always see the guy's calling the person Who, who's this who's that guy you know i don't know that yeah, i'm ready for my show my series i don't right. know when we start but let me know and i'll be there um so i i actually did the typical i flew down here with with a backpack and about 150 bucks and that was it and where'd you live in a baseball park for about three nights I, I, there was over in Westwood there, there was um, south of Westwood, there was a baseball field because I had nowhere to stay. I just figured I'd figure it out when I got here. And, uh, and I pulled in about 1 o'clock in the morning, and it was the last bus to pick up at LAX. And uh, it was the bus station was right there, and I asked the bus driver, where are you going you know, ultimately? He says, to, the, to the, you know, the main station. I said, okay, can I go with you? <laughs> he said, sure. So he parked the bus. I got out. And uh, started walking around looking for a place to throw my, you know, my backpack in and hide it. And happened to be that baseball field for about three nights. And I started looking for a job and, you know, going around town and figuring out, you know, how I was going to make some money and, and enough to, to stay somewhere. Uh, fortunately for me, after those three days, I got really tired of staying in that park. It got cold. I oh, was yeah. hungry. I didn't have enough money. I was watching every dollar I had. Um, and I remembered about four years before that I had come down to UCLA to do a full contact karate tournament. It was a uh, it was a national championship thing that I was involved in, black belt challenge. And I stayed at UCLA because uh, Phi Kappa Sigma was my fraternity at UW, and they had a chapter there. And I called them, and they said you can come stay in our basement. And it was a rat infested, beer urine right. smelling. <laughs> it was it was horrible. But I'm like, hey man, I, yeah, if I got a place to hang out, a couch, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, because you're young, and it's like you know, you're in LA now. That's right, I'm in LA. Now, did you contact that guy? Now, so I, ca- I contact a number, and it's disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> it's, dis- it's like, what a nightmare, man. It's like, right. you sit there, because, and it's like anything. We all do this, and, and we still do it. You, you get your hopes up. Yeah. You know, like, it's like anything. I'm sure, you know, if you're up for a big role, and you get a call back, even though you've been in a ton of stuff, and it's that role you want, you get your hopes up. But when you're young, and you're new, you're thinking, exactly, you're thinking, this guy is going to change my life and yeah. then you call us and it's not like a cell phone and back then it was like it wasn't just easy to call someone no so then what do you do so <laughs> you cry yeah i mean it's, <laughs> you must be pissed off oh i was pissed i couldn't believe it you know and then i called the gentleman that gave me the number actually and he was shocked too that it wasn't working because he was under, under the understanding that it was working um you know <laughs> again you know going back to that sort of that kismet thing the president or maybe the, he was the treasurer of the fraternity at the time remembered me from the uh, tournament um and he said you know 
how how long do you need to stay here? Because you're cool with staying here as long as you need to. You know, we're not going to charge you any money or anything like that. And I said, you know, I don't know, maybe a month or so. He said, do you have a job? And uh, I think, I said, no, I don't. He goes, well, my dad has a warehouse down in El Toro, and I'm kind of like a part owner of it, and, you know, we need a forklift driver. Can you drive a forklift? And I said, yeah, I can. I can do physical labor and stuff. So he put me to work um, there. I also ran into um, a circumstance where I, I, I was, you know, it's all about going to the bathroom, I think. It's about taking a piss. I'm walking through Beverly Hills and just checking it out one day, and this is after he'd already made the overture for the job and whatnot. And they and I walk in and I have to go to the bathroom. So I go to the back and there's a service elevator. There's a guy coming out. I'm going in. I asked him where the bathroom is. He goes, it's downstairs. He goes, are you here for the stock manager's position? And I lied. I said, yeah, I am. He said, I'll be right down. I'm just running a little bit late. We'll have a conference. Just go by, you know, personal, what is it called? The public, re- whatever that yeah, is. Pub, uh, uh, human resources. Yeah, yeah, human resources. And I said, okay. So I go to the bathroom, come out. He's waiting for me. We go into his office. He interviews me. He says, you're perfect for the job. When can you start? And I said, I can start tomorrow. He said, you got the job. Damn. See, that? You, that's, <laughs> that should be autobiography. I made it through P. It's, I mean, it's like, you're, it's like I, I mean, I'm going to sit there. And so, you know, you're going to see if people, you know, if, if, you know, if there's young actors out there, don't take this to heart. Just don't hang out in bathrooms because you'll, you'll look a little bit creepy, okay? If you're just sitting there hanging out, you know, in a bathroom and you're sitting there for a long time, maybe you can get a job in the bathroom. That'd be a good job. One of those bathroom attendants that probably right? would meet a lot of people. Right. Pissing your way to success exactly. by Michael McGrady. Exactly. <laughs> so now you're, you're doing that, but when do you actually start going out and auditioning and getting stuff going? Well, again, a strange situation, you know. Um, I, by that time i'd settled in um he had an apartment in beverly hills and so i moved in with him we became good friends wait the the, the guy, who, the guy who was yeah the treasurer of the okay. frat we became good friends actually and have been friends for many many years he became an lapd uh, police officer actually um <clears throat> he um he, i had the job so i started making money and whatnot and um i again standing i was at a place called the croissant show i don't think it's there anymore obviously but this was at um in westwood and it was a place I used to go every morning. I used to walk down there and have a croissant and coffee and do my writing, my journaling, and stuff like that. So you're still writing this whole time? I'm still, still writing, okay. still doing that whole, you know, reading more more stuff. I went upstairs, and I'm standing by the, um, by the telephone, and there's a gal talking on the phone about a Christian fellowship that she was going to attend to that night. And I, I've, I've been a Christian since I was 12 years old. I'm not religious. I, I don't even attend church most of the time because I just don't get on that road. Um, but I've always had a very strong, strong uh, belief in God and a relationship with God. I've always felt like He sta- talks to me. Let know. me interrupt you on the, on the yes, religious thing for sure. a second. I always, I always Uh-oh, joke around like, go. Go. no, 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 because <laughs> I, I was brought up Presbyterian, right? Okay, and um, you know, we, we I, mean, I, you know, I'm a wasp. I, I no, that's, right. that's all it is. My girlfriend's Italian Catholic, and she always says she refers to. She always goes, "You Christians," and I'm like, "No, Catholics are Christians, aren't they?" Catholics are Christians, yeah, right? Yeah, they are. They're considered okay, Christians. No, because I always sit there. Joanne sits there, and she's like, "Well, because like you know," and I'm like, "No, Joanne, there's a there's a difference." She goes, "Well, yeah, there's Catholics and and I think it's just because they are so different in religions." And then I make some snide remark, and she gets pissed off, and she's like, "Well, that's not right." I go, "Well, you know, our ministers, yeah, you know, <laughs> right, right, and we don't have to wear this, and we don't right, right, have to do exactly." That. Uh, no, I hear you. So, so I, I, I just make that point. So, so, and my, my girlfriend doesn't listen, but uh, I can tell her tonight. I can say, "Yeah, you know what? You know what? That guy Ray Donovan who uh, kicks everyone's ass. He he said you're wrong." There you go, and he talks to Ray Donovan. That's so, uh, so, so you so back to the religion. So I'm so I'm upstairs there, and she she got off the phone, and and I was waiting to use the phone, and I said, um, excuse me, but you said you were going to some kind of a fellowship tonight. Because at the time, I started feeling a little lonely and kind of a little out of place. Didn't have a, any of my friends down in my support group, if you will. Um, she said, "Do you want to go?" And I said, "Love to go." And um, she said, where are you staying? And I told her. And, and so she came by that evening, picked me up, took me there. Rosalind Sumners was there. She had just done well in, I think, the Olympics it was. Okay. She was a skater. Uh, Randy and Ty um, Gardner and Babylonia. Yeah, Ty's been on the show. Went, okay, yeah. They were there. Um, their manager was there. And an agent was there. And we had a great fellowship. And the manager and I started talking. He, I told him my story. And he said, would, would you mind coming in? We only have one other actor at the time would you mind coming into the office and talking about us representing you? And I said, sure. So I showed up that morning. We talked a little bit. He picked up the phone and called a couple of agents he knew, a commercial agent and a theatrical agent. 
And the theatrical agent I met with first, that day, that afternoon, we hit it off great. And he had been my agent for about nine years and did a wonderful job. His name was Dick Dunn. And um, he had uh, called Abrams, Rubeloff, and Lawrence, uh, which was a commercial agency at the time, huge, one of the largest. And I went in and met with them. And I think one of the very first things they sent me out on is kind of a tester to see how it would go. I, I, I landed it. And it was a commercial? It was a commercial. It was a national spot. So suddenly I was making money, too. What was it for? Uh, I think it was... Um, um, I think it was a orange juice sun, one of the orange juice commercials. They needed a rock climber, and I'd done some rock climbing, so uh, I, I went ahead and, and, and went in there for that, and, and I booked it. And in fact, in that first year, I think I booked five or six national spots, almost one after another, and so that was a good marriage. And you're making good money then. Making really good money. I could have actually quit my job at the time because I was getting a lot in residual. And they used to pay back then, not like now. You right. You made a lot of money back then. And they'd run commercials for months and months and oh, months. Yeah, for years. It's like now yeah. it's like three months maybe. Yeah, and then you're done, you know. And so you were collecting checks all the time. And then theatrically too, I one of my first things I ever went out on was a movie. Uh, Gary Busey played um, Bear Bryant, the coach of Alabama, in a movie called The Bear. I remember. And they needed uh, someone to play Gene Stallings. And um, so I went in and met with uh, Richard Serafian, who was the director. And uh, we hit it off, and I landed that job. And that was my first film job, was The Bear. And it was a substantial role, and there were some people in it that, you know, Gary was in it. He'd just done a great turn on all the things. Buddy Holly, and, you know, he was, he, was, he was one of the main guys out there at the time. Was he nutso then? Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay, because he's just, I always, like, people blame it on the, on the, <laughs> the, the motorcycle accident. But no. I just think, you don't, that doesn't, like, I had a head injury years ago. I'm still nuts. I mean, I, I think you're nuts before. I don't think it just, I think it may add to it a little bit. <laughs> the thing is, Gary, too, you know, he was, he was a lovable nuts, though. I mean, really, he was, he was fearless. That, that's the best word to describe. He was fearless. He wasn't afraid to try anything, and he didn't really care what you thought of him. So, for me as an actor to watch him work was inspiring and i learned from him um he just held nothing back and so for me that was one of the best jobs like i could ever have thought in terms of uh, baptism because i was working with at the time one of the best character actors in 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 the business and uh I, I learned a lot on that job. It's amazing when these talk about fearless because I've had people on this show who've worked with Brian Cranston. They say the same thing. The guy's just fearless. He'll do anything for the craft. And it's, uh, I mean, if it's you know standing in his underwear, you know, or, or you see him then on Kimmel and he's like painted. And that's what I think a lot of times they say makes such a good actor is if you just have no fear. Yeah, yeah. No, you can't. You can't be editing yourself. You almost have to sort of separate your your persona, you know, that thing that you present to the public. We all do that, you know. I, I used to tell, I ran an acting class for a while, I used to tell my actors, acting isn't putting on masks, it's removing them. We wear masks all day long as people, depending upon who we're dealing with at the time. Actors are asked to remove all those masks and expose themselves. And that's part of what I loved about about the process of acting, which again is why I, I got into it and why to this day I still enjoy it and still love it. Well, after Bear... Mm -hmm. You started getting a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, a right. lot of TV shows, episodics, movies, stuff like that. That's right. And I look up your, you know, and, and I guess, was your first recurring 24? Was that your first recurring somewhat? You know, it might have been. Okay, because yeah. so I'm looking at your thing, because there's a lot of great shows. And uh, 24, I mean, were you in the early part of that, or were you later in that? Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the second season I was in that. Um, gosh, that was a while ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe I was in the second season of that. And that was a great experience, too, working with Kiefer and, you know, all the directors that, the, that were working on that show were some of the premier directors. And you were on Cold Case. I was on Cold Case. Did, no, i got to ask you something, because yeah. I was watching Cold Case one night, and it was like a Friday night. I fell asleep on the couch, and the Cold Case marathon's on whatever channel. And back-to-back -back shows... My guests, past guests in the shows, were the killer. Did you did you kill anybody in the show, or were you just you did were you one of the killers? No, I was wow. one of the I didn't do it. Okay, damn, I always because I, <laughs> I love that show. I've probably seen that episode, but I'm always like I'm like that was just so random. I'm like, wait a second, it was Reed Diamond and he killed someone, mm -hmm. and then it was Robert Romanus, and I was like. Who would have thought? Back to back. I said, and I had to stay up for the third one to see if there's another killer. <laughs> no, 
<laughs> you're interviewing killers. Right, things. exactly. So you're doing all this episodics, and you're getting your craft, and you're, and you're doing a lot of different roles. Yeah. Now, are you getting called out for like a big guy? I mean, what kind of roles are you getting called for? Because you're a big guy. I'm a big guy now, and I mean, I was always tall. You know, you can't do anything about your height, but you know, I'm back and back. Then, when I, the first maybe ten years of my my career in my twenties and whatnot, I, I was maybe about two ten, two fifteen max. So I was tall. I was athletic at the time, and I was, I was still lifting and and taking good care of myself and stuff. But I wasn't as big as I am now, uh, not even close. So you know, people, yeah, when they were looking for the bigger guy, you know, it's funny because there again. When I first came on the scene, you know, I had a full, I had full hair, and I had kind of a six pack, and I was, you know, pretty cut up and stuff because of, of working out and stuff. And at the time, it was sort of like you know the dynasty and and the Falcon Crest, all these nighttime soaps, and then soaps were big at the time too. And everybody tried to push me into this blonde bimbo himbo world right, type okay. thing, and I was like, I'm not interested in that at all. I don't want to be a hunk of meat stand there. You know, Baywatch, whatever. I mean, that's not a slam on Baywatch. It was a great show. It was very successful. But just not my thing. My my guys were not the Redfords and those guys. My guys were Pacino and Hoffman and and, and uh, Ben Kingsley and uh, those kinds of guys. You know, I, I love the character actors and Gene Hackman. And um, so I sort of knew early on that I wanted to do character work. I didn't want to do leading man stuff. I didn't want to do the romantic stuff. I wanted to be the killer. I wanted to be the drug addict. I wanted to be the drug dealer. So I remember, in fact, going to my agents one time because, you know, up to that point, I'd been, been playing Guys Next Door, the good guy. And I said, send me out on something where I get to be the heavy. And my agent fought me on it. He said, they're not going to hire you, Michael. They, they hire according to type. You're not that type. You're a big guy, but you look like the kid next door. Blonde hair, the whole nine yards. You don't have dark hair. You don't have any scars. I said, send me in. Let's see what happens. So I went in. There was an opportunity came up to play a bad guy. I don't remember what it was. I think it was a drug dealer or something like that. And I just slicked my hair back, put on a life beater, you know, your tank top. And I think I might even spray myself down with some glycerin so I, you know, sweat a little bit and stuff. And I went and did the thing. And, of course, all the guys sitting in the office all looked the part. And I right. thought, God, I'm the fish out of water for sure. Now I see what he's saying. This was a bad idea. You know, I'll never bring this up again. And I got, I got the gig. I got the job. They liked the fact that it was against type, that I had this nice guy persona, but yet, uh, you know, the guy that can bring you in with that but then take you out. Um, that was the beginning of, of, of the career that I had admired in other people's careers and the one that I wanted. And that's been the track, even though I've played fathers and, and boyfriends and, and husbands and stuff like that. That, the, the heavies, uh, the character actors... I've been very blessed. Well, you've been on so many. Uh, your resume is great, and but you, you were uh, you know, there's some shows that I personally really enjoy. We talked about Low Winter Sun, Ray Donovan. You were in Southland. Yep. Which um, now, how many were you on all the seasons of Southland? Because I, I didn't start watching because it, it was on NBC originally, and That's then they correct. moved it to TBS. And I'll tell you something: a lot of people are still pissed that that show got canceled. Yeah, including us. Yeah, I mean it was such a good show, and it's funny is because I know the final scene when Cooper's beating that guy up. Right. This guy Alex Scooby, I know, uh -huh. and I'm like, because I I had he was on my show later. I didn't really know him, and we were friends on Facebook, and it was just like. I want to know what you, you, you want to know what happens. That's I was talking about this last week. I want to know what happens now. I don't know what happened to Cooper. I don't know this. You don't, and, and that's what pissed yeah. me off. It, well, it you know it pissed a lot of people off. I mean, it was that whole experience was a real mixed bag of emotions for all of us. You know, we it was unprecedented as far as I know um, and knew at the time that, uh, for a, can a show to get canceled while it was in the middle of shooting, having not aired a single episode. When we got to ep um, the second season and we were doing uh, episode six, and they ordered, I think, all 13, we were on episode six, we hadn't aired a single episode, and I got a, my wife and I were on my Harley, we're heading down to San Diego to celebrate the fact that we got picked up a second season. Um, all of a sudden, my phone goes off, and my wife says, your agent just called and said, call ASAP. So I pulled over, and I called her, I said, what's up? She says, you're not going to believe this. <clears throat> I said, what? She goes, Southland's been canceled. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? How did they cancel? They just ordered 13. Of them. Right. We saw Jeff Gaspin the night before at an NBC soiree, and he told us how wonderful the show is and how popular it is and how much they love it and they're proud of it and took pictures with his son and him and the whole nine yards. How could it possibly be canceled? And sure enough, 
we got the, the UPM called us and said, yeah, we're, we're being shut down. We're done. We're over. Was there a reason? Yeah. You know, the, you, you never know. You never know, you know, entirely, you know, because, you know, the, all the people that sit at the adult table, they, they know the truth, you know. But what trickled down to us was that, you know, when Jay Leno decided he didn't want to do the night show, the yeah. Tonight Show anymore, and then, you know, Conan came over. In fact, Conan, we, we went to a party for him, a, a Welcome to L.A. party uh, at, at Ron Meyer's house. And uh, but then Jay decided maybe he didn't want to retire. Well, by that time Conan was already entrenched in that in, in a spot. So the only spot they would give Jay was at ten o'clock. It was ten o'clock Thursday. So we got kicked over to Tuesday, and that didn't work. Our audience was not a Tuesday night audience. So when push came to shove, it was someone's got to go, and it was us. And so we got kicked to the curb. Uh, we looked around for a home for a while, and then obviously Warner Brothers, you know. Uh, TNT is a you know sister company there, and they they decided to keep it in house and, and go ahead and run it out, the five seasons. By the time that third season came around, we finished the the, the, the second season. Well, actually, we didn't finish it. We just we had a six episode second season. Okay. We were going into a third, and we were all asked to take you know you know a hit either in pay or episodes or whatever. And uh, I went ahead and took a hit on a couple of different issues and compromised a few things just because I wanted to stay on the show. It was a great show, great character. I love oh, my great cast. cast. I mean, great cast. One of the best, you know. And just the chemistry was there. The writing was there. It's one of those jobs comes along once in a blue moon, you know, once in a career even. Oh, and everyone who watched it was great. It's just there are certain things when you live in L.A., it's funny. It was like when there was a scene in the gay bar, they're actually at the Frolic Room, right. uh, which is next to Pantages, which is not a gay bar at all. <laughs> right. And I was telling my, my girlfriend didn't watch it much, but uh, I, I would watch it because I was by coastal for a year and a half. i go back and see her in certain shows I would watch. And she eventually moved out here, but I would, she cracks up now because I'd be like... I'm one of those people just continuity stuff kills me. It's like, wait a second. He didn't get from Hollywood Boulevard to Westwood <laughs> in 10 minutes. Are you one of those? That, I just know because I mean, I know it's the TV, but you sit there right. and you go, it takes you two hours to get down the damn 405 <laughs> to Westwood. But it was it was such a good, everyone I know who watched it just loved it. Everyone was pissed. I mean, not, not yeah. like, not like oh, it got canceled. But like people were pissed. Like, what the hell is this? I was talking about it at the other night. We're like, we're talking about shows that got canceled. I'm like, it's crap. There, there was a lot of groundbreaking work being done on that show, too, just the way it was shot. You know, we had Jimmy Merrill, the DP, had shot Crash, and they had multiple cameras, and Red Cam was on, on board at that time. And, um, you know, we'd get out. In fact, we were told in the very get-go, you know, you got to have all the day stuff memorized. We don't want sides. We don't want scripts walking around and stuff. We're not going to have a whole lot of time for rehearsal. We're going to get out of a van. The cameras are going to be there, and we're going to shoot. We're going to use bounce lighting. We're not. We're going to be a small footprint, and we want this to have sort of a cinema verite feel to it, which it did. So it had all these these elements that made it a really cool show and unique. And and so for this thing to be kicked to the curb like it was was such an anomaly. I think people were just shocked. Like, what happened to that great show? There wasn't anybody I'd run into who didn't say that. I love your show, yeah. especially cops, law enforcement, all the time. I'd run into them at twenty four hours. It was real. And, oh yeah, they tell us they go. You know what? You're the only cop show to come down the pipe in all these years that actually depicts it the way it really is. We love your show. Firemen, same thing. Across the board. You know, we had the respect of the people that we were depicting in, in our show. I mean, that's, that's a tremendous compliment. You know, so yeah, I mean, we were all really bummed out. Now, some of the people went on because their character and their storylines were, were a little more established than mine and stuff. By the time that fourth season came around, I think John Wells had called me and said, Michael, you know, we're kind of in between what we're going to do with your character. Sean Hannessy's character is now going to become a cop. Um, the other guys are gone, um, you know, and so we got this entire floor, the homicide department, and you. And we got the girlfriend, and we've got the wife and the daughter, and there's just a lot going on there. And I think the budget cuts and stuff, I was sort of the collateral damage of that, me and, and Aria. And which was which was fine. I didn't have any I didn't have any bitterness or, or anything. I knew I'd get hired again somewhere else. Well, then you eventually ended up playing the cop again in Low Winter Sun, which we talked about. That's you, right. Now, what was it like when they when they killed when they drowned you? I mean, what is what is oh. shooting a scene like? I mean, it, it is it scary because you yeah. you're actually I mean they don't know they have to make it look realistic and you're actually in it's not like it's CGI you're actually in the water. That's right. And you must be. You must hate the guys doing it to you. I mean, even though they're nice, when you're acting, you must really, you really have to get that hate. And you had to be like you were totally drunk. So, I mean, how now? How did 
did that scare the hell out of you when they were putting your head in the water? I mean, what's that like? Well, first of all, thank you, by the way. I appreciate the fact that you recognize that it might not have been as easy. It may, may have looked possibly when they actually cut it and put it together in, for the real deal. Um, it was it was hard. You know, I knew that I was going to have to go under at one point because they told me, uh, they called me and said, Michael, are you okay with being dunked into water? And I'm a surfer. And I used to scuba dive and stuff. And um, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm good to go on that. Al- although I had a near-drowning experience in my early 20s scuba diving, I got caught in a fisherman's net that threw me into some serious trauma that I didn't even know I had until 20 years later. I was at the Barrier Reef diving when I was doing a movie Thin Red Line. I was diving off a boat, and I couldn't go underwater. And I couldn't figure out why. And the dive master said, Michael, when was the last time you dove? And I told him 20-something years ago, what was that experience? And I said, I almost drowned. He said, you got post-traumatic stress disorder this is serious stuff i can't have you go down there so i was a little apprehensive there was some anxiety about being dunked underwater because i knew that you know when i'm surfing i got my board i got my leash i've got there's some things there to hang on to you know and it all happens so fast you get up you're you're good to go but so i sort of blew it off and said no not a problem you know well when we got down to shooting it we, we actually shot in one long master it was all handheld so when i'm getting up i'm having to act drunk do that whole thing and then mark strong and lenny james the the two other actors in the show with me the i was in with them i should say they're hustling me down through the restaurant through the back of the kitchen all the way back to where that sink was and by the time i got there because i'm fighting them at the same time i'm out of breath so now they've got to dunk my head under and i've got to hold my breath for at least a minute and while I'm fighting them right. and still expending air and energy while I'm fighting them. And then the director wanted a few bubbles to come out and then a few more kind of like slowly release this stuff. And, of course, the stunt coordinator was great. Everybody was great. They're like, Michael, if you need to get pulled up, just stamp your feet three times. I said, listen to me. If I need to come up, there will be bodies flying. Trust me. There will be no stomping right. on the ground. Exactly. I will get up any way I have to. So just be careful, you know. Um, that first take <coughs> was uh, a real eye-opener. I knew that I was in for a long, long day. And plus, they had uh, you're upside down, so all the water's going inside of your nose because they're stuffing your head down there. And each time they're punching me, I've got to fake the punch, too, at the same time. So there's all this stuff going on. But yet, you've got your head underwater. And right. You can't breathe. You can't. So it was, yeah, it was, it was a tough day. I knew it. After that first take, I said to myself, said, brother, you got a long day ahead of you here. At one point, they gave me a break. And they said, Michael, we're going to have your stunt guy go ahead and do this. And he was a diver, too. And um, so, so you can have a little break because we're going to be shooting from above and behind. We're not going to see your face and stuff. Because they had a Lucite one made so they can shoot right. up at me at one point. That was the money shot. And they, they hadn't shot that yet. And, after, oh, by the way, between each take, they had to dry me off, dry my hair, dry the suit. Oh, yeah, of course. Change everything out, you know, and stuff. Uh, so the stuntman did it. And I think he did it once. And he said, no more. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. He, he freaked out. That's crazy. Yeah. So now I want to talk about Ray Donovan because you know we're Good. we're coming towards the end of the show. Good. And, uh, you know, and uh, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the show, and it's uh, it's on its second season, mm-hmm. and it's funny because when that show was first beginning filmed, I was at a bar here in Burbank called Wakano, mm-hmm. and Stephen Bauer was at the bar, and I took a picture of him, and he said, "I'm in, I'm shooting this show." And with Liv Schreiber and John Boyd. And, you know, you, you hear things, you think, and so many times people are shooting a show and it doesn't get picked up. Right. And once that show came on, it is so good. First of all, the acting's all great. Yeah. John Boyd is just amazing. I mean, it's just when you watch him, you you actually, your, your skin creeps a little bit. That's how good he is in that role. Yeah. How did that come about, you getting that role? And was it automatically, did you know you'd be on for a while? Or was it a one-time shot? Or what happened when you auditioned? Uh, originally, it was uh, five episodes, first season. And Ann Bitterman, who created Ray Donovan, created Southland. Okay. And Ann and I actually struck up a really nice friendship when I did Southland. We just really related well together. Every time we had a conversation, it was always very uplifting, uh, um, rich. You know, we talked about life because she's such a great writer and she's, she's lived life. She's got widely read and broadly read and, de- and, and in depth as well. And so, because I'm a reader, we had a lot to talk about. Well, when this thing came up, my agents told me about it. I said, so is Anne going to be in the room? They said, she may, she may not. Well, 
I walked into the room and the director was Mike Uppenhall, Uppendahl, who I had just do, did um, a, a video with called L.A. Noir. So I spent a lot of months with Mike. So I knew I had that feather in my okay. cap. I knew I had Anne in my in my in my on my side uh, eventually. So I went in, did the audition. There were some other guys in there that you know, name guys. Usually when I audition for something, it's guys that have done series and they're recognizable faces and stuff. And there was a lot of recognizable faces in there. So I'm thinking, ah, the competition's rough, you know, and it's a big show and it's showtime. And that's when you take a pee. That's when, <laughs> yeah, I gotta, <laughs> right. I got to learn. I got to learn. Get up and go take a pee, dude. And you're going to get this job. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I did the audition and it was great because I got I got called. I think it was the, the next day, first thing the next day, and they said they booked you. They they really loved your audition and they wanted to hire you on. I was very excited about that. And and uh, and of course called me and said you know congratulations, welcome on board. And she kind of gave me some background on the character and what it was going to happen and stuff. She said, Michael, I can't guarantee a second season with this guy, but. We definitely want to make it a great first season. So. But as an actor, you must know it was going to be something good, even though you didn't know a lot about the series because you had worked with her and Southland was so good. So basically, she's what she's going to do is is going to be good. I mean, yeah. that must be great for you also. As an, and even the confidence, knowing the creator and the director, it must help you going in where it's like, okay, you know, I they know, this. yeah, and they know they'll they they can guide me because he's directed me before and I get along with them. So you do it now. You you you're. You're a crooked cop. Yeah. Now, uh, and then who has an affair and has a whole second thing. Right. What was it like working with Liv Shriver? Is he that intense? I mean, I, I, I know him from, he's done so many of those uh, voiceovers for like the HBO and those different mm -hmm. movies. Is he, is he, I mean, because he plays such an intense character, but is he, is he just like a mellow guy or? You know, it's hard to say that because I've never really hung out with Liv offset off much, right? And I don't know even 100% what his process is. So it's hard to say that maybe offset and on a weekend hanging out, because he surfs too, surfing, maybe he's a completely different guy. And maybe his process is he locks into that character from the moment he steps on the Sony lot because he's pretty intense. I mean, throughout the day, he's quiet. He's to himself. Um, uh, it, what you see is what you get. He's a no-bullshit guy. He shoots from the hip, as they say. Um, uh, he and I always got along. We got along great, and you know we laughed, and, and I can make him laugh. He makes me laugh. We we get along on that level. Artistically, we got along well. When we did our scene work, we both uh, were very generous to one another. He he's a very generous actor, actually. He's not selfish in any way. Um, he wants the scene to work. It isn't about him right. looking good. It's about let's get the scene right, and which I always love. I love working with actors like that. So my experience with Lev is that, yeah, he's probably uh, more in character than he normally would be if he wasn't working that day, but yeah intense and you know what's it like shooting a scene like when you get your ass kicked on the boat i hate it and your nose it starts bleeding so i mean i mean do you are you actually getting hit at all because no I, but i mean for me it's like i know because i was in a crappy movie and i got beat up and i know there's shots but it looks so intense and your nose starts bleeding i mean what's that i mean does it is it a pain because especially if you know you have to get if you have to lose the fight does that piss you off a little bit yeah it does <laughs> it should <laughs> it really like, does. It, for me because in in real life i'm pretty confident when it comes to fighting i mean you're, you're third degree black, black belt, belt, right? Yeah. yeah, not third, but yeah, I got I got black belts in two okay. different styles of karate, and I've done martial arts and boxing, and and I'm I've been a scrapper in the past. I've, I'm not afraid to get in in the mix in a bar, and even even now, if I if somebody you know hurts someone or, or approaches or someone I love or care for, I'm not one to stand by and watch. Right, I, I'm the guy that's going to throw his hat into that ring. Um, um, so yeah, it is a little weird because I, I I've only lost one fight and that was in a ring. I got knocked out cold in the third round. First time anyone's ever knocked me down, let alone knocked me out. Um, and I've never lost a fight, so it's always a little weird when 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 someone's kicking my ass. Um, I go with it because it's the character, of course. You know, my ego's not in, in, involved in there. But it's a little, yeah. It's like, wait a minute. In real life, this wouldn't happen. Right. What, what are we doing here? No, you know. Or like, in fact, I'll even step in, and I, I think stunt coordinators can't stand working with me because I'll say that that could never happen. That one punch would never knock a guy out like my size, or or wouldn't put me down. Well, well, and with this character, it would. And I'm like, well, yeah, but let's be a little more real about right. this, you know. Now, where, do they, where is your boat at? Where do they shoot that scene? Is that Marina Del Rey? Marina Del Rey, yeah. Okay. Now, is that the only thing shot off the? The, the lot no no they shoot um they shoot uh, i think the house is off the lot um, um i think that's in calabasas um a lot of the stuff shot off lot we have about five minutes left mm -hmm. um i want to know about your art 
because you, you, you have your art is in a lot of art galleries. You have an art gallery, I believe. I don't have an art gallery per se. We have like an online presence, okay. you know, but it, it's mostly art galleries. We've recently stepped it back to one exclusively that's up in uh, Calistoga in Napa Valley there, uh, Lee Youngman Gallery. We had a lot of the galleries. I think we had seven or eight at one time. Does your wife paint also? No, no. Okay. She sort of represents me. Um, you know, she's, she, she, she was the one who makes those initial phone calls and, and talks to the artist reps and the gallery owners and stuff like that. And she's been terrific. She's been a real asset to me in, in that regard and so many others. She's just, I love my wife. She's fantastic. Ilka is her name. Um, Ilka's fantastic in terms of, you know, running that, that part of the business. But after, it, it was hard to sort of keep track of the art and when you were getting paid and things like that. And it's such a part-time thing for me. It was never anything that I, like, pursued. It was something that sort of came to me. They came to me and said, I'd like to represent your work, that kind of thing. Oh, okay, well, why not? You know, if somebody can buy this, it'd be nice. To, for them to have it for their wall, I make a little bit of money, and it just kind of blew up. And I'd done mural work before. In fact, Melissa Gilbert's house, I did her entire house. I did cherubs on the ceiling and vines and roses and lattice work and like you know trompe l'oeil type stuff. You know, the real stuff that looks it's fake, but it looks real like right. paper on the wall and um, you know all that marbleizing and stuff like that. So. I was used to sort of commercially working on that level. I'd done a lot of uh, work in like a condo place in Los Angeles, I mean, down in Long Beach. I did this new condo condominium uh, complex. I did their entire parking lot with like um, uh, palm trees and stuff like that. So making money as an artist wasn't new to me. Um, but, you know, at one point my wife and I said, you know what? It's a lot of work running and working with all these different galleries. Why don't we just pare it down to one? So we just deal with that one gallery now exclusively. Now, how often do you paint? Um, lately, I haven't painted much at all, but um, I, at one time, I, I was putting out about, about a painting a week. All right. You know, I'm, I'm an impressionist, and I use knives. I don't use brushes. I use strictly palette knives, so it's a relatively quick process for me. I started out as a sculptor. Okay. And so there's a, there's a sculptural, textural quality to painting with a knife that, that I prefer over a brush. So I have to paint relatively quickly. It's just I do it intuitively. I don't sit there and labor it and... You know, I just, I see something, I want to paint it, I'll set my easel up, and I'll just start painting it. And usually, it, you know, it turns out sometimes it's just a lot of direct that I throw away. So now what's coming up in the future? Any uh, uh, projects? Well, let's see. <coughs> Ray Dawn, of course, we just finished that not too long ago. Um, I just did Constantine. I did a little guest spot on that, which was great. It's an ABC show that's coming out. I think it's airing uh, this weekend or next okay. weekend, the, the, either the Halloween night or, or the night before or something like that. i, I got to check my dates. But they pushed it up in the schedule. They liked the, the episode a lot and stuff. So that's coming out. Um, and then nothing really in the works uh, right now, you know, um, kind of enjoying a little bit of time off because it's been a pretty busy year. It's been a good year. Um, spending a lot of time with my kid. My son plays basketball. And I surf. And I sail and ride my Harley. And my wife does all that with me. And so really kind of spending a lot of time with... You got a big Harley? A, a fat boy. It's fat boy. It's not big, you know, medium-sized one, you know. Now, do you go out with other guys to ride? Like, I know like, like I know some guys who... There's a guy who's a bartender over in Pasadena who has, like, a his buddies go on these bike trips and, uh, like, they drive up somewhere. Do you guys have... Do you have, like, a group? You know, I, I do. Not a regular group. Um, in fact, when I first got my Harley and I was working on Southland, some of the guys I, I befriended as police officers at the time, all of them detectives, homicide detectives, we took a ride out to uh, Tombstone together in Bigsby. It was like a week ride, just me and a bunch of these cops, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, Malcolm Jalon Warner is, is somebody I ride with sometimes, a guy named Theron Derrick, whose dad was one of the founders of, of, of the uh, Temptations. Okay. He's a drummer. Um, I just went with them, uh, a couple guys uh, up to uh, Santa Barbara on a little ride, but most of the time it's me by myself. Or my brother, who just recently moved down here. Or my wife. My wife loves riding on the Harley. That's cool. She loves that. Yeah. See, I'm not, I'm not a bike guy. And no? I, no, I'm, I, 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 yeah, I don't know why. I'm not <laughs> those people. It's not, it, doesn't, it doesn't really uh, doesn't like tickle my though. fancy. You know, it doesn't, it, I, it's, it's a long story. But uh, now, now, how can people get in touch with you? Do you have your website? Or any, I know there's a McGrady Art website, right? Is it? Facebook. You know, I do Facebook. I don't Twitter much. Of course, much to the consternation of my handlers, I, I don't. Um, Facebook, though, Michael McGrady, you know, actor-director. It, I'm there. That's where um, I found you. I sent you a message. Yeah. And in fact, I use that quite a bit. I mean, I take 
pictures on the set and and you know i put shout outs and things are coming on and stuff like that and you know just thoughts and if i have a thought about something you know i've, I've had people respond to some of the philosophical things i've had to cool. say you know and whatnot but i have a website that we're actually putting together right now an official website where i'm going to put some of my music up on and the artwork and stuff but facebook is really the way to get a hold of me and, and i always I, I, I try to you know stand stand in contact with people well i want to thank you for coming on thank I know, you uh, last time you went out of town then you had to switch last week and that, that happens so much that's one thing with guests i sit there and i sit there and i go you know what? it's la i'm gonna be able to find a guest you know i mean it's like what am i gonna do freak out you know and, and last week i had uh three two guests normal guests instead of three so it all worked out but yeah so check them out people go on facebook also uh follow me on twitter at cooper talk i'm always tweeting funny stuff you can see what's going on also if you want to send me an email send me to cooper at coopertalk.net which happens to be my website where you can go and i have um I think 305 episodes up on there. So check them out. Also, if you want to listen in other avenues, uh, go to iTunes or Stitcher, type in Cooper Talk, one word, has all my uh, episodes. And uh, I just started getting picked up on an iHeartRadio app. So type in Cooper Talk. There's only seven uh, episodes. They're from September. I'm going to be updating it this weekend. Hopefully, we'll get all caught up to you know the, the normal place also um every tuesday i host crappy comedy at jimmy's place down there on san fernando boulevard in san diego i'm not san diego in, on san fernando and burbank it's just a quick hour show coming at nine they have great dollar tacos it's really fun and november 15th uh the uh, vfw in azusa i'll be hosting the american legion actually i'll be hosting a big show there with a big headliner a good friend of mine it's a big benefit so come on out so yeah keep keep listening people i'm steve cooper i'm only as hip as my guest don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, have a great weekend.